Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. There are eight million stories in the naked city, and this was one of them. Out here in the fields, Okay, I believe Summer of Sam is up first, which would have been released July 2nd, 1999. So uh, we're a little bit late for the 20th anniversary uh, celebration of Not seen too many of those. Uh, though, look, I, I've not seen this film come up uh, with a great reverence for its 20th anniversary. That's that's because life is unfair, um, and I <laughs> there's think there's the short of it. <laughs> that I think this is the, this is probably the point in Spike Lee's career where after this he basically decided he just didn't care, um, and mm. and he made he's made good movies since this, but I do think there was an element of well. If I put this out there and and the reaction is, you know, just a big shrug, then, you know, why should I go all out, you know, for anything? Um, and I, I think... See, I, th- I feel like this ahead. is right on the... Uh, he's on a really good streak, I think, with uh, Summer of Sam. You know, because I'm a big fan of uh, He Got Game, which came out prior to that. Uh, he did Bamboozled, which, you know, I just recently watched about a year or so ago, and I, I was kind of shocked at how... Uh, I don't know how sort of alive that movie felt. And I was like, well, that <laughs> certainly would not be released in 2019. 
Um, I'm trying to think when Inside Man came out. 25th hour. Inside Man that. is 2006. So it's a little uh, bit so off, about but, five uh, years after. Yeah, um, 25th and then, hour. I'm a big fan of. Bamboozled is right after this. Is the next mm-hmm. year, and that okay? So so I guess it's kind of hard to talk about his career because there are all these movies we all like, uh, but. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember what the reception was on He Got Game, but I know Bamboozled was seen as somewhat of a misfire, and I mm-hmm. like it yes. quite a bit. I like it mm-hmm. quite a bit. Twenty Fifth Hour people liked, but it was definitely lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, it yep. was yeah. Uh, she hate me. I believe was one of the one of his biggest bombs, uh, critically and financially. And then Inside Man is a big commercial hit, uh, but Miracle at Saint Anna. It sort of, you know, comes right on the cusp of that and sort of undone, undoes, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever whatever name he was he was going for uh, for himself commercially. Uh, Miracle at St. Anna kind of uh, destroys it. And now he seems to be on somewhat of an upswing. Uh, but I'm kind of, you know, uh, nonplussed with, you know, his, his latest <laughs> offerings. Um, so uh, Summer I, of Sam, think, though. Summer of yes. Sam. Is a terrific film. Summer Sam has so much going on, and I think just like a movie that I know you love, uh, Zodiac, uh, also mm-hmm. from two thousand. Oh wait, no, it's from two thousand seven. Uh, from two thousand seven, just like Zodiac, Summer Sam is a movie that you know whose title would lead you to believe that it's solely about the the serial the you know infamous uh serial killer at subject here but it's really about the world around it and in the same way that zodiac was about the investigation and the struggle and the response from the press summer sam is about the masses of people around uh what's happening in the summer of 1976 and i saw this in theaters uh as a 15 year old (laughs) person (laughs) Or I guess 14. Probably, um, probably a little young to be uh, let in see Summer of Sam. No, I think my, well, my dad took me to it. Okay. And uh, I remember liking it, but I remember as a kid, even as a kid being somewhat let down that the movie wasn't more of a suspense thriller or whatever. You know, I think it's forgivable to have that reaction as a kid. Uh, I don't understand the people who, who have that reaction to Summer of Sam uh, or, or Zodiac as adults. And both of these movies are very, they're very similar in that regard. They both had that very same, there was so much talk about them when they came out, but they both had that same kind of reaction where people were just like, oh, well, you know, this, this could have been more entertaining, uh, which, you know, <laughs> like you missed the point entirely. Congratulations. I, well, uh, I, I think Summer of Sam is really entertaining. Um, but I, I guess our experiences are similar. Uh, I did not see this one theatrically, and I don't remember why. I think I was interested, probably for the wrong reasons. I was, I, I was like, oh, cool, a serial killer movie, Spike Lee. I, I, I like his his stuff, but I don't remember when I got around to it. At some point on video, and uh, I remember being kind of disappointed and somewhat agitated by this movie, like, which is strange for. I would have been, you know, sixteen at the time. Uh, my response is, "What's what was all the sex? What's with all uh-huh. the sex nonsense in here?" And <laughs> you would think that would uh, that would not be the response from a sixteen-year-old boy, but uh, I I felt like, um, you know, coming out in the summer of a film we're going to talk about 
shortly with uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I think that maybe contributed to it getting lost in the shuffle because there is this emphasis on this this strained marriage uh, between John Leguizamo and Mira Sorvino, her character, but it's uh, it's decidedly more blue collar than the Stanley Kubrick couple that we <laughs> we focus on, and uh, a, maybe a little, a little on the trashier side, which mm-hmm. I, I think the the entire film is. Um, but uh, when I, I mentioned sort of re rediscovering a way bamboozled and just sort of being taken aback by, uh, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, this is one that Spike Lee is known for his style, but I feel like this is, uh, genuinely sort of upsetting as you watch it. And it's not, <laughs> not even just the, the, the killings that are happening, but like there's this general mood of, uh, paranoia and this cynicism, uh, about your fellow man that just seeps through this film that that makes hanging out with the characters, in particular the Leguizamo character, uh, pretty despicable for its you know two hour and twenty two minute runtime. So while I agree with you that the adults in the room from nineteen ninety nine maybe should have pushed this one harder, uh, I could see this one uh, initially even as an adult uh, kind of taking you back and just feeling uh, one of my favorite words, just feeling icky after you watch the whole thing. Uh, it's certainly not as clinical as Zodiac. Um, I, you know, I think that's probably more like white collar to the the sort of blue collar trappings of Summer of Sam. But it's uh, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed watching this one for for this podcast. And uh, I don't know if I would have gone back to watch it again. I've gone back and watched He Got Game and some of other Spike Lee films, but this one, um, that sort of uh, teenage mindset of like, oh, it's got all that weird sex shit in it, <laughs> I think would have kept me from uh, revisiting it. But I'm really glad I did. So one of the things that a lot of people pointed out uh, upon its release was that he, all the characters, you know, the vast majority of characters here are uh, part of the, you know, Italian scene of, mm-hmm. uh, of the, you know, these neighborhoods. And he was kind of uh, like, I, re- I, I listened to some interviews and he was kind of very like in- in- indignant about that, uh, you know, observation or criticism uh, saying that, uh, he, he, you know, that a lot of people are forgetting about Danny Aiello. Uh, and, but it is interesting, you know, in that respect, that he, he does profile the neighborhood in, in a very similar way to, to how he did in, in Do the Right Thing. And, and just like Do the Right Thing, uh, Summer Sam is mainly about a protagonist coming to a breaking point and, and having to make the right or wrong uh, decision. And he doesn't really know what the right or wrong decision is. Uh, You know, unlike do the right thing, I think it's pretty clear uh, that, (laughs) that, you know, he makes, uh, you know, a terrible decision at the end of this movie. And, and I love how the movie is so amoral about it and uh, doesn't really, it doesn't become a gigantic soap opera, like, like something like crash, uh, which I actually like. Uh, it never feels like that. It really feels like a very straightforward, unsentimental uh, capturing of the you know these people. And I I really like Adrian Brody's uh, character here, uh, which is an interesting place for for Spike Lee to go. And the things that so the other thing being covered here besides the summer the the Son of Sam killings is this move culturally from disco to the beginnings of punk. 
And that that's really what is at heart of, of these characters feeling like, like they're uh, like Richie, like Adrian Brody's character is not really one of them anymore, is that he's not listening to the same music. He's not dressing the same way. Uh, he's also, you know, sleeping uh, with, you know, <laughs> uh, with, you know, different people and, and people mm-hmm. of the same gender. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things being di- dissected here. And you can even feel it that, that Vinny, when Vinny and uh, Di- Diana uh, go to their normal club and it's a lot emptier than normal, uh, you know, part of that is the threat from Son of Sam. Part of that is just people moving on culturally. And, uh, you know, the, the, there, there's a lot more going on than than I think people wanted to to give it credit for. Well, there's a lot of anger from the uh, the blue collar characters of being feeling like they're left behind. And I know we're just talking about in this instance, uh, you know, a pop culture movement. But you know, there's a, a sequence where um, they attempt to support their friend, played by Adrian Brody, uh, by going to I think uh, is it CBGB? I think mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, just looking at the, you know, the, the punk scene there and the way that the, the punks look back at them, uh, you know, definitely coming right out of, uh, you know, the seventies disco sort of get up that they're in, uh, dressed to the nines for a night out. Uh, but even Vinny and Deanna, like they're, they're not welcome or accepted in the, you know, that world that they aspire to studio 54. Like they can't, they can't get in They're It's like, they're good enough for their sort of local club, but there is still a barrier there. And I think it, it really contributes a lot to the unlikability of the Lequizamo character, mm-hmm. but there is, there is a little bit that like you understand his, uh, you know, this building and sort of bubbling rage he has about feeling like, you know, a big fish in a small pond. And when his friend comes back with this look, it's like you can tell that he's mildly kind of curious and interested in him because he gives him a little bit more leeway than the other sort of stock neighborhood mm-hmm. guys do. But, you know, he's not willing to to make the leap and that angers him. It's, a, you know, these are all self-inflicted wounds and that contributes also to like <laughs> the relationship between the marriage. Like he's, he says throughout the film, the things that he, uh, you know, can and wants to do with these other women behind his wife's back that he would never entertain the notion of doing sexually with her. And even when she seems kind of interested and, you know, trying new things in the bedroom, uh, it disgusts him about himself and about her. And I, I love that dynamic. There's, there is a little bit of this that I, you know, eyes wide shut is one of my, uh, favorite revisits that I really like kind of like the idea of watching them so close together in that way, because I do feel like the Leguizamo character is, you know, far more well-drawn than the Tom Cruise character in that way. Like where those, you know, the eyes watch that seems to be about ideas, like theories. Uh, this seems to put them into practice. Like what, <laughs> what happens when you try to, to, to bring those worlds together. And when you get upset with yourself at, at the attempt to do so and it, and it failing uh, and it, you know, as you, you sort of reference that, you know, towards the end of the film, the horrible betrayal he has uh, really doesn't have much to do with his marriage. That's not really mm-hmm. the buildup. It's what he does to his friend. He's so self-centered, like like he's so narcissistic and self-centered, and it starts with 
him narrowly, you know, missing, um, uh, being killed by David Berkowitz, uh, in early on in this movie. While and, cheating on his well, wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's such a, it's such an unflinching portrayal of this guy that, that who from the very first scene, from the very first scene, we know this guy has major issues and it's probably beyond redemption. And yet, you know, you really can't turn away from him. Uh, I, I, I love these scenes later in the movie, of him uh, really losing control, and it, it re- there's like a there's like a, a a stretch in this movie that that begins when he goes in to tell uh, his boss, uh, Baby Newerf, uh, at the at the hair. He's a hairdresser. We haven't mentioned it, but he's a hairdresser, and he goes to tell Baby Newerf off. And there's just a stretch of of time in this movie that just feels so real uh, that I can't get over it. Well, you're sorry about what you made me do. You're, you're sorry what I did. You're not sorry what you did to me. You're not sorry that I trusted you and you used me. Hey, I'm sorry. But baby, I'm not me, okay? I'm fucking going through a lot of shit right now, all right? He's in a cult. Richie's in a cult, okay? He's got me coming or going. He's brainwashing me. I don't even know who the fuck I am lately, okay? So the shit I'm doing right now is not even me. I'm not even responsible for it. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, come on! Come on, you, you're blaming Richie for what you're doing? Come on. Come on, they, you know what? They fucking think he, he's a fucking killer. He's the son of Sam, the 44 caliber killer. That's what I gotta fucking do with Benny, every day. stop it! What does that have to do with you fucking other women? Come on! I am not stupid! I never said you were fucking stupid. I'm telling you that I fucking love you. You can't fucking leave me over this shit. We're fucking husband and wife, do you hear what I'm saying? We had two fucking great years. You're not throw that out for this piece of shit. What fucking Big Mouth Gloria says to you? I'm gonna throw oh, it all out. I'm gonna throw it all out. All of it goes out the window just like you threw it out. I don't give a shit about that. I don't give a shit. And I know from reading up on it that they did a lot of improvisation uh, and everything. Oddly enough, from a script that was written originally written by Michael Imperioli, who has come up uh, a bit on this podcast already uh, as we, we, we talked about The Sopranos uh, when we discussed Analyze This on an earlier episode. Uh, and, I, and I imagine that improvisation really contributed to uh, the, the, these really great scenes that Leguizamo has with uh, Mira Savina late in this film where the emotions between them uh, are so raw and so unfiltered and Brody, you know, can't contain himself, uh, you know, cause, cause I'm right. You know, he knows I'm right. <laughs> I, I like, I like how you're able to speak, uh, his, his Catahoula uh, language. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you. There is, um, th- you know, I, I wonder if that, that contributed to that, that discomfort that people maybe had with this. And it's, it's strange. Cause you know, we started this conversation talking about, uh, both of us as teenagers expecting like, okay, this is about a serial killer mm-hmm. who's doing, you know, uh, terrible things. And yet we're primed to accept those type of things in a film that we go see, uh, you know, over 4th of July weekend. But the abuse that is hurled between um, people who have grown up together <laughs> and suddenly have, you know, the only reason they have to think that their friend is a serial killer is that he's got spiky hair now mm-hmm. and likes to speak with an accent. That makes us more uncomfortable than if we were just following the murderer as he just goes and attacks, you know, unsuspecting people in the streets. And uh, it, it's it's interesting. I, I think that it's, you know, a decision that's made um, far more 
I don't know if that's in your reading. Was that based on the initial script, or did Spike Lee take it that direction that he wanted to focus more on the the neighborhood and the people? I I have no idea. Like like I listened to this interview and Spike Lee talked, uh, you know, for twenty minutes, not really about the making of the movie, but about the controversy that it was inspiring. And and it, I know it's weird to say this, but apparently this was like considered a super controversial movie when it was released. Uh, the New York Times had an article uh, the week before its release where they basically interviewed David Berkowitz and had David Berkowitz, you know, the son of Sam Killer, the actual guy, uh, like criticizing, you know, Spike Lee. And it's like, you know, wow, strange bedfellows uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> and so if you look it up, you can find this interview on YouTube of, of Spike Lee, like just really feeling like he had been really taken to task uh, for, for making this movie. And, and it's so, it's so odd because you watch it now and the movie is so far away from being ex- exploitative. The only mm-hmm. place I could think you could criticize it for that would be this really interesting cinematic sequence where Spike Lee juxtaposes one of David Berkowitz's killings with uh, the uh, commentators from, from a, from a New York game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that like, that like cinematically that sequence does really throw me, but at the same time, okay, may, okay. I could see someone criticizing that one scene as being exploitative. I don't understand the, the criticism of this whole movie being exploitative, uh, that like, it, like the, the, the film's aims are so far uh, away from that. The movie is, is so much more about the way, the way the mob uh, um, moves. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, like there are gangsters in this film, mm-hmm. but what we're really talking about is we're talking about the mob of people of, uh, vigilante justice when society totally breaks down and people lose all sense of reason or logic. And what I love, you brought up, uh, the spiky hair. Uh, I forget the character's name. Is it Michael Rispoli? Joey. He plays, uh, Joey. Yeah, Joey. So Michael Rispoli, is you know may, like drawing uh one of the sketches uh of david of the of the son of sam killer of what the police think he looks like and put spiky hair on him and it's like of course logically you're thinking you know if he had spiky hair i think the police <laughs> would mention that like it would be a pretty identifiable thing uh you know to to, to find you know if richie was the son of sam killer uh but you know they've they've they're so far lost and uh, they're, they're using it as an excuse to give in to their base urges. And, and that's really what people do with all of these things. <laughs> I, I think people, you know, they're, if, if you can say people are ever comfortable with that idea, you, you look to something probably more famously like the crucible. Right. Uh, and there's, <laughs> there's still some order to the, proceedings of hysteria or you know there's the illusion of order <laughs> I, I don't think people like seeing and this you know these dumb characters mm-hmm. <laughs> try to establish their order like you said by saying i wonder if the killer had spiky hair would it look like the only person i know is spiky hair probably <laughs> like you know i don't think that people generally are comfortable like thinking like that they they want someone that's, you know, like a, a crusty old emperor Palpatine looking guy to be giving, you know, these commands to these, these simpleton people and, you know, no, nothing, no disrespect to uh, Michael uh, Rispoli here, who I, I think was the runner up for the uh, Tony Soprano 
uh, role. Um, he, you know, I, I, he leans into it, and they all lean into, uh, including the, our lead, John Leguizamo. They lean into being rather kind of dumb people, or you know, mm-hmm. people who just are in over their heads. And you know, we <laughs> not only does do we have our main character Vinny um, being the 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 ultimate rat who who sets up his his friend, and you know, you get the impression he doesn't even buy into the fact that his friend really is capable of doing it, but there's like, just he's just clinging to anything. Cause there's nothing, there's no other good idea in his head. So it's, let's just go with a bad idea. Uh, but spending most of your runtime seeing this guy's main obsession isn't really <laughs> with the son of Sam. It's with fucking as much mm-hmm. as he can. Like that, I think that's, that contributes to the discomfort people have with a look at mob mentality. When, uh, the leaders of our mob are just hung up on the fact on how to get the rocks off. And that's, it's a, an interesting way to kind of examine it by, I think looking at what, how people really think, like we've talked about oftentimes how these films would age. Like, you know, my <laughs> assumption is most people on Twitter, uh, espousing a political viewpoint, uh, in particular, when it comes to pop culture, something offended them, uh, or proclaiming that something should offend you are, Really, you know, seventy-five percent of their brain uh, is thinking about how they can get laid, <laughs> and, like, and how they can get laid online if they just phrase this tweet the right way. That'll get enough people to like, you know, DM them, and ultimately it will lead to sex. And I, I personally like a film where that, you know, especially in this time period with the drugs going around, um, and the, you know, this push to be a part of something. I think that's the other thing I really like about it is this feeling of being left behind. Uh, you know, we see a lot of movies about like young men, I guess in particular, um, feeling like they, they need to, you know, somehow conquer enough before they sort of are put out to pasture before they settle. And I, I like seeing this put in that time period in the seventies, you know, before, uh, the AIDS epidemic where it's like, you know, this was the time that people could be free with, with all of that. But <laughs> this dumb bastard decided to get married and he's not honest with himself, uh, enough or with, you know, his, his wife to express himself and the way that he feels like now is the time to do so. So I, I do have a question for you though. Sure. Having, have watched this. Do you think that, you know, I mean, we often see like a, a character say like, you know, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And you see this with Vinny's character. And then of course he, you know, he, he does exactly what he just said he shouldn't be doing. Do you, do you believe that he would still be the same way if you set this film in a different decade. Like is the, is this Vinny character the same if for whatever reason the story takes place in the fifties or if it takes place in the nineties? Well, in the fifties, I mean, he's kind of like, you know, in the fifties, uh, you know, the archetype would be, would be like Don Draper, I would think. Uh, no, like, is that sort of what you're getting at? <laughs> but he can't, he can't be, uh, you know, is, uh, I guess boisterous about, you know, his, <laughs> he's definitely not uh, John Hamm, uh, you know, staring off well, into yeah. the distance <laughs> and having women falling at his feet. Doesn't exactly have the same strong resolve, but, but he does do things without thinking of the consequences and, mm-hmm. or how it hurts people around him and often blames others for, for his own mistakes. Uh, and, and the funny thing about Vinny, is that he's always talking about God. He's always talking about religion uh, throughout their apartment. There are crosses all over the walls and everything. Uh, heavy emphasis during those fight scenes uh, on those crosses on the walls as, as uh, Dion is, you know, uh, preparing to leave him. You know, that that's the real interesting uh, hypocrisy 
you know, of Vinny is that he really believes that God is looking down on him all the time, uh, has no interest in anyone else in the world, and yet, yet he still can't even behave with any <laughs> semblance of, you know, being a responsible, good human being. He's a complex, flawed human being, and I and I feel like today, if you tried to make this movie, they would they would just w- the audience just just wouldn't accept uh, uh, having to follow an unlikable character. Uh, like this, you know. I don't think they'd accept Adrian Brody either. His his version of Richie, uh, I think, would have to be mm-hmm. far more giving uh, as far as you know to to the film to the audience. Uh, he would he would have to have you know one or two uh, bigger speeches. You know, there there are some quiet moments that he shares with uh, you know a neighborhood girl played by Jennifer Esposito Ruby, uh, who is you know being I guess the modern term would be slut shamed uh, in her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in those quiet moments, it's not like he just opens up to her about his hopes and dreams. You know, it's, he's, <laughs> he feels like a, a real guy who's, you know, he's still also feeling things out. He's just not, he's not hurting others the way his friend is. He may be hurting himself with some of his decisions. You know, he may be, you know, I, I don't think that we're meant to buy that he's going to become this great new musician no <laughs> right so I, I you know this is this is a phase in his life and you know going forward he he may be a, a stockbroker i have no idea but uh i think that if this was made now or you know even then if they were like okay we can fix this to be more financially successful for all parties involved um he he would have some sort of motivating factor where it would become more tragic what happens to him like that there was a dream that was crushed as opposed to him just being a guy, mm-hmm. you know, who's young and he's just in between things. That's, that's kind of where he is. And that it's the fact that he's in between things and sort of honest about it that, you know, gets him crucified in his way by these guys that he grew up with. And he, and, and, you know, what's great about it is that his character is all these like, you know, hanging uh, elements that we never really get any closure for. Uh, you know, m- while he's starting this new relationship with Jennifer Esposito, he has he's you know he's cheating on her with with guys, and we never get any sort of real clue. Like in in most movies, you know, you'd have the scene where Jennifer Esposito finds out, and then you know they fight and blah blah blah. But yeah, I think the fact that we don't get closure with Richie underlines what you're saying is that this is basically uh, an in between uh, like phase for him. Uh, and it's, so both, both Richie and, and Ruby, Jennifer Esposito's character, they're, they're outsiders. Uh, you know, they're like, they're hated because they're outsiders. And that's basically one of the big themes that has permeated, uh, Lee's work is this hatred of the outsider, uh, beyond any sort of sense of logic, uh, or anything. And so that's why I think it really fits very well. You know, the, it's for me at the point. top of, of, you know, near the top of his filmography. Yes. And I would say, you know, so far as we're getting to like the almost the halfway point of this juncture, I would say, uh, you know, near the top of what we've covered as as well. So, you know, pour one out for poor pushing 10 on my list as it moves down <laughs> <laughs> the ranks. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I feel like this was probably, you know, it, in what we presume be a really great year for film, um, I, you know, this one was probably was missed and mm-hmm. I still feel that way. And I, I, I think it's really interesting that he picked that particular you know point in time that, that summer in the city, 
uh, where there was a serial killer going on that just contributes to a particular shift, a particular uh, manic energy that everyone feels like they're, you know, they need to be at the right spot to catch something, whatever that next wave is. And they seem to disregard <laughs> the fact that they're, that they're actually living with other people, other people in their lives. And they can't really have everyone in a holding pattern. Like you see with the mirror Servino character, you know, Legozamo would be happy if she just sort of stayed put <laughs> while he sort of worked things out on his own, but he is married to her and she is part of his life. And, um, I, th- I think that's, you know, you brought up the, with the Adrian Brody character that, you know, there are some, some dangling threads. Um, I think he's probably just, he's just more honest in that regard. Like there's going to be some facets of his life that he exposes to certain people and some that he, some that he doesn't. And, you know, you're kind of, you accept that or you don't, but, um, I, I don't know. This is, this is, it feels like a, like a truly, a sort of a lost classic, uh, in a way, Ben. And that's, so rediscovering it was, uh, was joyful, but also kind of sad as well. So the, the movie begins and closes with Jimmy Breslin, uh, addressing the camera. And both times he repeats, uh, a quote, uh, that there, there are 8 million stories in the naked city and this is this is one of them. Do you know what that's in reference to? This is just a bit of trivia for, no. for you. Uh, so uh, we talked a lot in the past two weeks about TV shows that have been turned into movies uh, with South Park and Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. This is a case of a very popular movie from the 1940s that got turned into a popular TV series. And that would be The Naked City which uh, always, if, I'm, if I, I may be wrong, but always began with that quote. Uh, there, there are 8 million stories in the Naked City, uh, and this is one of them. And I've always loved that like bit of esoteric, uh, hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, uh, thing that, that he, that Spike Lee puts in there. That's, it sort of seems like something, you know, only a real New Yorker at that time would really pick up on. And, and so I've, I've always appreciated that. <laughs> I just fact-checked you, and uh, you are correct. That, yep. was, that was how they closed that show. All right. So now you got to trivia, trivialize me. Uh. <laughs> okay. On, uh, what's, on what's, what's up coming next. up next. It's not very fair. I have the Wikipedia page up for it right now. So. All right. Well, I will try to, uh, I'll try to stump you with what I pick uh, to be the, uh, the, the clue or the piece of trivia. Uh, so this film, I would say of a certain age, uh, men of a certain age uh, would say that this was best in show for comedies in summer of 1999 i can't even really pretend like i you know uh, i don't know what it is so the, so the next one up uh is well, you uh, know what the reference is right the clue there well uh, men of a certain age best in show you're talking about eugene levy no? there we go yeah yeah let's let's shine him up we all like bit. eugene levy let's yeah, yeah you know <laughs> so next week we will be talking a lot about eugene levy in, in in American Pie, uh, <laughs> just just generally speaking, we're stopping before Matt. This is Eugene Levy retrospective. <laughs> but but this is a movie that, unlike Summer Sam, was, was very very popular and mm-hmm. very very unexpectedly popular. And so yeah, you have that to look forward to. These little town blues.
if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. It's up to you, news.